This is Paul Nobles from eatbeform.com and I am sitting here with our sunburnt, with my sunburnt co-host April Blackford. April, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi everyone. So April had mandatory time off this weekend. Um, we've, <laughs> I think, all been sort of overwhelmed for quite some time. And so we're starting to realize that if people don't get a little time off, that it's going to be very, very frustrating. And so um, April was able to have a little bit more time off. My my weekend was also fairly relaxing, but but probably not as relaxing as April's. Um, what did you guys end up doing? Um, we just went to the beach house and... We spent about four hours at the beach on Saturday, rode bikes, took some walks, you know, all kinds of good stuff. And we celebrated our 12-year anniversary. Well, so congratulations. Nice solo with no kids. That's the key part there. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, the, the kids part is, is kind of a big deal, actually. The uh, It looks like our um, date weekend thing that I always brag about. Um, has come to an end. Um, uh, I think both of our kids are too old, and uh, Vicky and I were still okay with it. But you know, for people on the podcast that don't know, my wife and I, um, every other month, we send our kids to the opposite, and so and then they send their kids, and we've been doing that for something like fourteen years. And it's been great. <laughs> you know, it's sort of funny because we go to like Vegas and New York to see plays and such. And they just like paint, you know. Hopefully they're naked when they paint. I have no idea. But um, but uh, it never seemed like they were having near as much fun as we had. So, um, so basically, if anybody's got any questions, you're more than... Um, uh, you know, jump right in and, and get them out. And uh, on Facebook, we will kind of jump into some of the questions there, but we're mostly going to be focused a little bit on the eat performers that are going to be asking questions. So I'm not sure if over the weekend that you've seen the, the little trend sheet that I've been kind of putting out there. And Basically, it's just like five or six things on a spreadsheet. And probably the, the three things that I would consider to be the most important things as it relates to whether or not you're ready for a deficit cycle is, are you sleeping well? Are your workouts good? And are you eating an adequate amount of food for what you do, right? And so I'm going to write that down just so I don't lose track of thought. But what I think happens for a lot of folks, right? So they um, they start off kind of not having really any clue what is going on as it relates to how much they're eating, how much they're doing. They just know that they're in a bad spot and they want to get out of that bad spot and they're going to basically just eat less until they do. It's kind of interesting. There was a study that came out and it pretty much confirmed, like many studies confirm, what we talk about fairly often that 
the idea of less, less, less is leaving people sort of broken and confused. And we talk about that fairly often, but it just seems like you're seeing more and more momentum that way. And people are starting to hear sort of what we've been talking about. But we're not the only one. We're, we're pretty much the only one that's really trying this from a mainstream standpoint, though, because everyone else seems to want to try it from the standpoint of, you know, selling you, you know, 60 calorie cookies or whatever. Right. And so there's not a whole lot of money in selling you the idea that, hey, a patient approach is going to make a lot of sense. It just so happens to be the, the only thing that really works long time. And then, you know, the other piece that we, we talk about often that I think, you know, can't go without saying, you know, if you walk into a deficit cycle and your first thought is, I don't really like myself the way that I am right now. I think what ends up happening is that you will lose your resolve fairly quickly, right? If you walk into a deficit cycle and you're sleeping eight hours a night and your workouts are great and your eating is good, that's what this trend sheet is doing. And so if you're an Eat Before member, basically I've posted it in the meal planning group. Um, if you um, haven't seen it, you can use the search bar or you can just tag a coach and they will show you the trend sheet. Um, it's also in Quick Start and now, now in coaching. I have to say, I only put carbs in there, but I think if you're new, I think protein should also be in there. Um, for my advanced folks, you know, in the Quick Start classes and stuff like that, they kind of have protein figured out for the most part. But it's really kind of the new folks that don't always make protein a priority and they could ultimately benefit the most from it. Um, any thoughts as we sort of move into some of the trial and error part? Um, uh, of course, I absolutely agree in regards to the, the newer folks. You know, I would say probably 95% of them are deficient on protein. You know, they're either coming in low carb or low carb, low protein or high carb, low protein, you know, it's basically, they're just focusing on carbs on tr attempting to diet and not even having any concern or care towards protein at all. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, how I agree with that. So when you have all these things in place or let's say 80%, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is, is that we're all somewhat deficient at times. So perfection is not necessarily the goal. But what I think happens when you walk in with kind of a full head of steam, we know a few things are going to happen, right? So when you go into a deficit cycle, um, and actually a little bit of what I'm talking about, I'm not really even in a deficit cycle at the moment. I'm, I'm sort of reversing out of it, but it still applies because, you know, some of the things that you will use when your deficit cycles are also useful when you aren't dieting, right? Because you're still going to be conscious of your weight, you're going to be conscious of your body fat analysis, all these types of things, right? So what, what tends to happen for a lot of folks is they don't realize that when you work out, when you, um, you know, work, stress, 
you know, kids, all these things end up being stressful. And then you add another element of stress that sometimes, you know, it just creates these hurdles, sickness being one, you know, injury sometimes can be a factor. Um, you see a lot of people trying to burn the candle at both ends and it not being productive. And so if you walk into it with a full head of steam, you give yourself a real good shot at jumping over two to three of those hurdles, right? But if you walk into it and you already are miserable and all you can think about is how you wouldn't want to be miserable and then you're cuddling up to less and cuddling up to miserable, right? I think your resolve sort of goes away relatively quickly. The other thing too that I, you know, and, and, and I talk about this a little bit, but I think it's, it's really true. There has to be a place of caring for who you are now, you know, because for you to get to where you want to go, you sort of have to love that person to get there, you know, and if you don't, what'll often happen is, is you'll lose 20 to 30 pounds. A lot of the times you'll do whatever it takes to lose that weight. You'll blow through a whole bunch of muscle in that process. And in the end, you just end up like a smaller version of what you used to be. And, you know, oftentimes people will will focus, you know, on the fact that, you know, mentally it didn't do a lot for them. Physically, you know, they were smaller, but mentally they just didn't go into it with the right mindset. So they're able to come out of it with the right mindset. And so I think that most people going into you know, any type of deficit cycle, they have much better chance if they have, you know, if it comes from a, a place of caring. Um, any thoughts before I get into the big revelation, <laughs> the secret to fat loss? Um, in regards to the place of caring, you know, I think it kind of goes along with mindset, you know, obviously the mindset that you have, you know, of yourself and, and your current, you know, situation or position that you're in. Um, but mindset means everything, you know, like what you said, you know, if you go into it with a poor mindset, you know, you have to be positive or have to, you know, be willing to sacrifice and make changes. But if you have a negative mindset going into it, nine out of 10 times, you're either just going to beat yourself in the ground or, you know, you're not going to be very successful because you're going to get, you know, you're going to get down that the scale is not constantly moving down, down, down because you're in a negative mindset already and you don't, you know, you don't learn along the way or, you know, learn how the, the process, you know, works for you and doesn't work. Right. So, so, so one of the things that, that I saw Elizabeth Darsh, and I'm actually going to share it in a little bit, um, did a video and I can't remember specifically how she said it, but it was related to Wilma Rudolph. And when you see it later, you'll know what I'm talking about. But she was talking about that no success comes without struggle and that they are interlinked. And so if you're currently in a struggle, you know, doesn't mean that you can't refine your approach but you can expect the success to come. What I think happens for a lot of folks, though, is when they walk into it from a place where they're not so happy and that struggle starts to happen, they give up. And 
they they may have missed the boat on where the success piece was supposed to come later on, right? And that really resonated with me because, you know, throughout, you know, losing almost 100 pounds, um, what really stood out to me was just the consistency of effort, you know, and especially as the years have gone by and, you know, what I think is sort of interesting the way that we approach things as opposed to the way that most people approach things is we're really about keeping your metabolic health. I think one of the things that surprises people is when they realize how little I work out. And most people um, are really trying to do things what I would consider to be harder rather than smarter. And trust me, I had my harder rather than smarter days for sure, you know, um, where a lot of what I was doing was super cardio based or kickboxing and, and all this other type of stuff, which by the way, a lot of that stuff is fun and it's also part of my mix. But, you know, I had somebody say to me recently that they were, you know, really struggling with kind of hypertrophy work because they found it boring and I was like yeah it is <laughs> you know and so is eating salads and so is making sure that your proteins you know it's all relatively boring right I mean like when you're in a relationship um, you know I mean this is probably a horrible way to say it but I love the mundane nature of my relationship I love just being with my wife sitting in chairs out front of our house and just talking and that's not exciting and we ain't clubbing you know we're not you know I mean I think the excitement level that everybody wants in their life you know what I think what people are really saying is I want to feel like I have more Control. So if they feel like if they beat themselves into the ground, that they have a better shot, you know, at whatever it is, right? Um, any thoughts on that? Because I want to sort of get into these trend sheets because, you know, I've made a few videos, but there there was a few things that have happened recently that, that you know, I think people are going to find interesting. I'm, I just wanted to say I don't see how hypertrophy work can be boring. This is pretty awesome. You just have to know how to jazz it up, you know? I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. You know, I think that, you know, if, for instance, you are a CrossFitter, right, and you like that type of stuff, you know, drop sets and down sets are very similar to CrossFit, you know? Drop you got drop sets, down sets, giant sets, supersets, partial reps, pauses. Yeah. Like the options are like unlimited. And you you feel it in your your you know like right now you know I just got done benching you know probably within the last half an hour and I mean you know my arms are bigger my chest is bigger you actually see it I think that there. You know, I get that a lot of people only have like an hour and they want to kill themselves in that hour to feel like that they've done something. But, you know, in the same time, you know, I mean, I was actually 
you know, I walked my dog in the middle. I was, I did my laundry. You know, there was, a, there was a number of things that I did in between my sets and, um, still got a really effective workout as a result. And I think that that's sort of the graduation for fitness. You know, it's sort of like your relationships, you know, I mean, you get that, oh my God, I'm totally in love, you know, in the first part, you know, and then your connection is much closer, you know, but in a very different way, but it's deeper. And that's what, that's what I think your fitness journey becomes is it's not just about killing yourself. It really is about finding what works. And I think that's the other thing too when you're always snuggling up to less food, you're sort of missing the magic of what a healthy, thriving metabolism looks like. You know, so April, you wanted to say something. <laughs> no, I was, you were talking about the beginning relationships and I was actually thinking about, you're talking about the comfort level, the exciting, you know, and the beginning of the relationship where, you know, it's kind of exciting. You still have the butterflies in your stomach, you know, but you know, there's the uncomfortable moments like you have to pass gas, but you're holding it, so your stomach hurts for hours. And then when you get to that comfort level, it's like, I feel so relaxed. I feel so, you know, it's, it's all good okay. now. No, no, no. Tell me. We got, we got back up. What are you talking about? Are you talking about literally passing gas in front of your husband? Is that where you go with it? Yeah. I don't think... Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that that's part of our, our family routine even now. You know, I need to have a chat with Vicky then. Yeah, but you, you guys just keep doing you, you know. So when we started doing these trend sheets, what I noticed right off the bat, um, and I'm going to use myself as an example, but but one of the things that I noticed right off the bat, and and you know we talk about this every week, but you know there has to be. You know, um, Shannon, in terms of the signing up for the summer challenge, you, what you can do is you could tab tag Ashley in the um, meal planning group or Stephanie or really any of the Eat Perform coaches and they'll get you that link. Um, so when I started looking at everybody's stuff and, and, and there's varying degrees, you know, there's obviously some people that we've been working with for a while that are a little bit more advanced and they're willing to try some things that other people aren't. What I find though is basically you get the three levels for your performance focused fat loss. And the first thing everybody does is just go to the lowest levels with the least amount of carbs. And the minute they do that, one, they start feeling awful and they don't feel like working out all them, that much. They get fatigued really quickly and they're sort of missing the magic of what you're really trying to do. In my last performance focus fat loss, you know, my top two numbers were 2,200 and 2,000 and I only went under that twice. And the two times I did, I ended up getting like three to four hours sleep. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, so what I did was, is I made sure that I got in a little bit more dedicated, low intensity work. And 
that helped um, and allowed me to have a little bit more food throughout the day, um, be a little bit more flexible. And then, of course, you know, once a week, um, you know, there is kind of programmed in a little bit more food so your metabolism upregulates and then, you know, we kind of trickle back down. But if you just go to the lowest number right off the bat, yeah, you'll lose a, a lot of water relatively quickly, especially if you were kind of, you know, maybe, you know, coming in a little bit, you know, um, where you were eating a little bit more than probably, you know, um, you are freely eating to perform. That's the best way to say it. I'm just trying, I'm struggling to try and explain that. But if you're coming in from a baseline, right, where I think a lot of people do, you're not going to be carrying a lot of water, you know. And especially since most of you guys are women, you know, there's not a lot of women that are just dying to be bloated all the time. So for you guys, when you come into performance focused fat loss, and you lose the first two to three pounds, and then you're at the lowest number right off the bat, you know, you're not gonna move, right? That's the basic for a plateau. The basic basis for a plateau is that you get stuck and then you keep doing the same thing and it doesn't move. And what we're talking about, and actually there's a lot of good people that talk about this, that you can't just do that. You have to vary it a little bit. Whenever I talk to Mike Nelson, you know, who is the person that wrote our original book on fat loss, you know, and I show him my scale numbers um, and, you know, the graphs and stuff, he's always excited because of the variance in that. And that's a big piece for people that they're not understanding. So, I would say that my weight was relatively stable, which is not typical for me. Usually, you know, I'll kind of hover down to 178.7 and then hover up to, you know, 180.4, right? And I'll just kind of, you know, go up and down. But the last couple days, my weight was relatively stable and, and so having this trend sheet was really super helpful one um one of the days was date night so for me on date night my carbs typically are fairly high you know um you know if it's a workout day i'm gonna be roughly 350 to 425 grams of carbs um i mean that's not high for you know, a lot of folks, but for me, it works. I'm only a 180-pound guy. Um, but what I was noticing was that I basically had three or four days where I was at 240 to 275, right? And my weight was sort of staying stable. Um, had a few workouts in there. Was doing a lot more long, slow, like rucks and stuff like that. And then my big volume days, you know, ended up being more fats. And so, you know, to kind of stay within my, you know, calorie restraints, you know, my carbs sort of had to be 
you know, a little bit lower. So even though it was a rest day, this is important because th this is the big thing that I need people to understand. If you're banging the hammer, and the problem is, is that in this instance, I'm talking about carbohydrates, but the same can be said for fats. Oftentimes people go, okay, carbohydrates, that's the answer. And then they do four or five days of carbohydrates and then their weight gets stuck there, right? Well, what do we do then? Well, we go to the opposite and we try to cycle fats a little bit there. So we can see if we can sort of get things moving. And so you're sort of trying to find a groove and see what that groove works. So normally we recommend that people put their carbohydrates around their workout days. So yesterday, it sort of depends. I mean, like what I consider to be a workout day compared to what other people consider to be a workout day isn't always a good fit. Usually... If I do something like a ruck that's four to five miles, it's not super glycolytic. I don't need a lot of a lot of glucose for that. And maybe I had a fair amount previously. Um, though, like I said, you know, I, I kind of had three or four days where I just was subconsciously, you know, more reliant on fats than I was on, on carbohydrates. So even though it was a low active day, um, I went ahead and still did carbohydrates, but I did have a little bit of a deficit and boom, dropped two pounds, right? Um, one of the things that we talk to people a lot about is the effect of carbohydrates on cortisol. And, and most people know that cortisol is going to, you know, you're going to carry a little bit more water around your waist and stuff like that. And so, you know, when you bring carbohydrates to the table, it can be helpful. Now, we have to be careful there, you know, because I could argue, and I would argue this, that when you look at any kind of you know, calorie manipulation, macro manipulation, anything like that. We're really talking about water for the most part. And so I don't want people to think, well, because he had carbohydrates, that's all everything. Couldn't I make the argument that three or four days of fats actually were just as important to that scenario? I mean, one of the things that was really interesting about those days is that my lifts were really good, you know? And so my weight being up a little bit, I'm well fed in that scenario. I'm eating an adequate amount of calories. I mean, that's the nice thing about, about fats is they tend to be, um, you know, energy dense. And so you can get in a lot of calories a lot easier than you can. You know, it's sort of interesting because people often will focus on kind of the bloating of carbohydrates what I would argue is that most people experiencing bloating from carbohydrates have too high of fats in that scenario. So that's the other piece. When I noticed my fats were up, 
I spent the day really making sure that my fats were sort of reasonable. And so I think my fats ended up being something like 74 grams. Normally I'm 100 grams, but I just, want, just wanted to kind of reverse things. So the big takeaway is that often if you're finding that something's not working, one, finding the trends is helpful. I will say that a lot of people are using the trend sheets and they're like, I can't see it. And I'm looking at their trend sheets and going, totally can see it, right? So in that way, I think it is helpful to get coaching if that's something that you you think is is you know I mean if you can if you can do it you can see your own trends and you can react to those trends. I think most people are scared shitless to do any kind of trial and error with their food um, because they're always focused on the scale going down. Right. And for me, you know, I know that the scale going up and down is actually a big part of the equation. And what we're really looking at is averages over time. When you look at my trend line, I mean, it's it's almost amazing, you know, just how consistent it has been over the last four weeks. And one of the things that I've been focusing on a lot lately is trying to get my rest day, you know, um, calories up which is part of the reason why, you know, as I did that, what are we talking about with rest days? Typically we're talking about, you know, more fats than carbohydrates. And so that's why my fats were starting to creep. So, you know, I had to be a little bit more aware of that. I lost, uh, lost you for a second there. Someone is asking what is a ruck? A ruck is a, uh, a hike um, with a weighted pack. And, uh, you know, it's very, it's a big thing in the armed services community. Um, I use uh, actually a weight plate that's, you know, designed here in Mankato, Minnesota. Um, but I bought it from GoRuck, which um, I'm kind of hoping for a Father's Day GoRuck pack. Um, so I'm pretty uh, excited about that. But I really like um, rucks for people. Um, that's the other thing somebody said that, that, you know, walks and hikes are boring and they'd rather run and be done quicker. Once again, you know, I was running 15, 18 miles, you know, last summer, but my feet was always hurting. My joints were hurting, you know, and just found that if I took a little bit more time and, you know, did the, the rucks, you know, um, and it is funny because if I go two to three days where I've had consistent activity, by the third day, the pack starts to feel a lot heavier. The first day, I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting really getting used to this 45 pounds. And then by the third day, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that was just had a lot of energy. Um, any thoughts on that? Because I think I think what, what happens is, is people read the books or listen to the podcast or whatever and they go, okay, I have to do it this way and if I don't do it this way, it doesn't work out. But well, I think one, the, one of the key things that I wanted to touch on and, and you had put an emphasis on and I touch on this a lot in the group coaching is it's normal. We want to see those fluctuations. You know, We want to see the up and down fluctuations. You know, Unless you're 
purposely trying to slowly gain weight, you don't want to continue to see the upward trends. And, you know, unless you're specifically in a fat loss cycle, continue to see the down, down, down trends, you know, but you want to see, you know, the up and down fluctuations. And I also wanted to add in that the comment that you made when, when people are saying that, you know, that they think that they're bloated from the carbs, you know, generally if they're bloated from the carbohydrates, it's because they don't have any level of cycling in the mix. They're basically working out six days a week and have just one day where they eat a little bit less and they don't have enough cycling going on to, to kind of, you know, rid a little bit of the water, rid a little bit of the bloat, you know, like what you said, where you cycle your carbs down. You know, See, but that's I, the biggest thing. But I, honestly, you know, I mean, and, and, and I noticed this with mine, you know, when I'm not as good as I can be with my logging, you know, what I notice is that, yeah, my carbs are creeping up, but my fats are still high, right? And so when you can actually kind of get those fats to a reasonable level, your carbs can go up much higher than you might think, right? But if your fats are already 125 grams and now you throw 425 grams of carbohydrates, you're going to be a little bit more bloated in that scenario. And I think that, you know, we've defaulted to too many simplistic solutions along the way. You know, I, I think that when we're talking about eating an adequate amount of food for what you do, what we're really talking about is trying to figure out a good mix where you have fats in the mix, you're able to rely mostly on fats on, on your rest days, and then you're still eating enough food and enough carbohydrates so you have enough energy. I mean, one of the things that was happening when I was first coming out of performance-focused fat loss, you know, I lost 10 pounds, everything was going good, pretty happy with it, but I was having to be a little bit more dramatic. I mean, yeah, I had my 3,000 calorie days, my 3,500 calorie days, but then, you know, I'd have the 2,000 and 2,200 calorie days. So I wasn't finding a real good mix as it relates to my workouts. And now, you know, that I've sort of moved to 25 to 2,700 on my, and, and just so you guys know, I don't work out all that much, you know. And I think if people are listening to this and they're hearing, oh my God, this guy eats 2,700 calories or this guy eats 3,200 calories, you know, yeah, moving is a priority in my life, but the thing that I noticed right off the bat, I'd say probably a week after my deficit cycle, I'd already started to feel the groove a little bit, and the minute I did, not only was my sleep good, in fact, this last week, my sleep was so good that my burns were super high every single day because I was fired up. I had energy. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people are drinking coffee just to get through the day. When you drink coffee and you've had eight to eight and a half hours sleep, man, you're like a firecracker, you know, and, and that's a little bit of what, you know, we think is the big secret for people, you know, is... They're just constantly snuggling up to the, you know, I, I guess simplistic solutions that, that without real trial and error, without really seeing, you know, what could work for them, you know. And, and once again, I mean, 
every time somebody listens to this, they're like, oh, you keep talking about carbs. You know, carbs is not, you know, it's not a bad thing to talk about. But don't misunderstand. I eat relatively, you know, I mean, I had peanut butter in my oatmeal. I eat fats. I eat a good amount of fats on a daily basis. And that is one of the reasons why I have good energy for workouts. Um, and it also, if you're trying to get to 3,500 calories, hey, good luck doing that with just carbohydrates or just fats. You know, um, usually some 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 kind of mix there. You know, like I said, on Fridays, typically my carbs are going to be a little bit higher, my fats are going to be a little bit higher, and so you know, that's a good day to deadlift. That's a good day to be at a little bit of an excess so you can potentially put on some tissue in that scenario. So let's see, this is a good time to get to a few questions. We had a few people. So I don't know if his name is Rudy or Ruddy, but for Rudy, what the, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right or wrong, so I apologize. But Rudy, I'm just going to go with Rudy. Um, with Quick Start, basically you get more of this kind of stuff. And we walk you through a little bit more advanced ideas. So once you have kind of the basics down, you know, the big advantage to Quick Start, obviously, is that you get a little bit more support in the deficit cycles. Um, he did have a follow-up question. In terms of protein intake, should the um, gram to pound rule be based on total weight or just grams to pound of lean body weight? Well, that is interesting. Um, and I would say it's some, you know, kind of, you know, a hybrid of the two. Typically, we will go, you know, at about 0.7 of um, pounds of body weight. But there certainly are instances where we go to lean body weight. As an example, if you're a 450 pound person, you know, I'm not going to try and have you eat, you know, 325 grams of protein. It's not necessary because your fat layer actually acts as, you know, some measure of protection for you. So, you know, we would probably put that person much closer to lean body weight. So it sort of depends on where you're at as an athlete. Um, you know, conversely, if you have a 115-pound female, she's 17%. We're definitely going to be closer to the, the, you know, one gram per pound. We'll also be focused a lot more on carbohydrates because carbohydrates also act as a protective for muscle because it's good for muscle protein turnover. And um, basically... You know, when you don't have that fat layer, your muscle can potentially be used as energy um, as it breaks down during your workouts and stuff like that. So we want to be really conscious of that piece of things. So Cassandra's saying, following the end of a PFL cycle, how quickly should one bump up carbs and fat? At what pace should you work back to your T-wave numbers? Well, that depends on you, right? Um, for me... Basically, I'm back to my numbers. I was back to my numbers roughly within three weeks. We typically recommend about eight weeks phases where you sort of walk through things patiently. What I think 
is the big factor for people is the amount of activity that you do and the type of activity that you do. It's sort of, you know, kind of part of the conversation that I was having earlier that if you can work out a little bit smarter, you don't have to work out near as hard. One of the things that I've been, you know, focusing on a little bit more is trying to keep my burns to a relative level. You know, like I said, I'm, you know, if I sleep eight and a half hours, have a cup of coffee, you know, I'm, I'm up and walking around the house all the time. And so sometimes my burns can get to be a little bit high. So on those days, I might not go for a longer walk with my dog or might not go for a ruck on that day and focus a little bit more on weight training. Also, great days for high-intensity work. Those things really push your exercise you know, and work capacity forward much faster. And so um, there are days where, you know, if you're a CrossFitter, you're a power lifter, you, you actually might want to keep your burns at a relatively low level just because you want your body to be able to sort of adapt to that. So if, you know, you're, you know, burning 4,000 calories and, you're eating, let's say, 2,500 calories, and it's deadlift day, you're really not allowing your body to adapt to the extreme exercise that you're doing. And then ultimately, you know, you're going to be dealing with a little bit more stress in that scenario, potentially get hurt, potentially get sick. So those are things that to keep in mind. But I would say, um, one, the more dedicated strength training you can do, um, I think the the nutrients that you're bringing into the equation, you know, you can bring them in quicker. The other thing that I would highly suggest for anybody coming, you know, especially in the first month, you know, I've been really focused on white rice and uh, Vitargo, um, both being fast loading carbs that I can, you know, with some level of salt. It's kind of interesting because I think when there's there's sort of two two schools. There's the you first start off, you have a lot of processed foods, and you're trying to eat those processed foods in a relatively flexible way, right? And you start to realize, oh my God, my sodium's like forty five hundred every single day, five thousand every single day. When you start to get smarter and you start to eat vegetables and you start to eat more real food and stuff like that, whole foods, I don't. I'm not a big believer in the real food idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, most food is is real if you're putting it in your mouth and eating it. Um, but what what happens at that point, though, is you can become too conscious of sodium. And sodium you know, and potassium form an electrical bond that allows for better nutrient uptake you know, into your system. And so... Um, you know, things like leafy greens, obviously potatoes are great for potassium. Actually, potatoes are a lot better for potassium than, than bananas. Bananas always get the big, you know, big super plus. Um, they're a little bit better when, I, 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 I don't want to be wrong there. Um, the ripe potatoes would be better for potassium. The, the white potatoes actually have a much bigger bang for your buck. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ripe bananas. Yes, the, the ripe bananas. Yes, 
Yes. They're going to have a higher potassium? Yes. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to how quickly you want to push it, you know. Um, I think the other thing that we have to talk about is age, you know. If you're 59, if you're 64, you know, realistically, you know, yeah, it'd be nice to, you know, if your calories, you know, averaged out to, say, 1,700 and you'd like to get back to 2,400, you might want to take the whole seven weeks, you know. Um, the one thing that I always focus on people, and, and April does as well, is we always kind of tell people to have a little bit of a buffer, you know, where you're allowing the scale to go up a little bit because, you know, when you're coming out of a dieting cycle, you know, the best way to explain it is, you know, how many people have dieted going into vacation, you know, um, and, you know, they weren't as smart, you know, they weren't doing things to eat perform way. They were just like trying to get in a bikini, right, for Hawaii. So now they go to Hawaii, they have the beer, they're on the, the beach, they're having a good time. They realize they kind of overdid it. They jump on the scale and boom, they're up nine pounds, right? We don't, I mean, one, a lot of times that happens because you're avoiding food more, more extremely or you're, you know, super low carb or you're super low fat. And so that's one of the reasons why we try to keep some level of cycling in the mix. But when you can kind of allow for a little bit of a buffer, you know, but, but be conscious of it. You know, my, mine, you know, my performance focused fat loss cycle ended at 177.8, which wasn't a whole lot of room. I've technically allowed myself to be at 181 and you'll see, like if you've seen my scale on Instagram or you've seen, you know, any of the, the things on the page. You know, you'll see my weight go up to 181.4, you know, occasionally. Well, that's a sign, you know, I got to do whatever the opposite is. And, you know, uh, the one thing I love about Mondays, I mean, I did bench press, but bench press, you know, is not a super, you know, I mean, it's it's fun to do, but it, it you know, it doesn't take a ton out of you. Normally, though, Monday is actually the only full rest day that I take. Most other days tend to be um, active rest days. And uh, what I will often do is if on a Thursday, as an example, I'm feeling kind of run down, what I will do at that point is, uh, is take a full rest day. But in general, I, I like to work out. I like to be active. I like to walk. You know, I like to to go on hikes, and so I tend to try and keep those things in the mix. The thing that I like about walks, hikes, and rucks, though, is that it's not super stressful. It doesn't hurt my feet. Actually, you know, I do feel it a little bit in my back, you know, um, but I think that's that's normal. It, it doesn't stay with me, though, like, you know, doing heavy squats or something like that where you're really trying to force adaptation you're really really just trying to get in some level of volume in that scenario um, 
I think I just wanted to add in some thoughts in regard to Cassandra's comment. Um, yeah. You know, you and I have touched on this quite a bit in regards to, you know, the one of the biggest things that I see with people reversing, you know, out of their uh, performance focus fat loss and into the higher calories. We're kind of discussing the, you know, how quickly should you do it, you know, so forth and so on. But um, the biggest thing that I see people do is they may have modified the workouts a little bit, maybe add a little bit more active recovery, you know, to have a larger deficit throughout the week with less stress. And then say, okay, Monday ends my fat loss cycle and I'm immediately going to go balls to a wall and add everything back in before they really start building their food back up. You know, and like what you were saying, you know, it kind of correlates with the, you know, watching your overall burns and, you know, and not trying to let that be too high, you know, but kind of keeping an eye on having some level of balance while you build the, you know, build the calories up. Well, I have a great story in regards to that because when I first, the first day I came out of performance focused fat loss, I ended up squatting um, and ended up doing quite a bit of reps and, you know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and admit it. I mean, like, I was trying to push myself um, so I could be a little bit more aggressive with calories, similar to what I was talking to you guys about. The problem with doing that, though, is if your muscles don't have a fair amount of glycogen, you know, if you haven't been eating an adequate amount of food, you know, three, four days before that, you know, a lot of people try to... And I was trying to do that on that day, right? So I ended up having Chipotle, ended up squatting, got extra rice, the whole bit. Um, I mean, I couldn't walk for like three to four days. You know, I was just, I just overdid it, you know? And oh, so, were you walking like a baby giraffe for about three or four days? Well, okay, so the walking was fine. It was the sitting down on the toilet that was that was was problematic. But the other, the other was... Um, my wife had surgery, and so she couldn't pick up the dog. And so I was the one picking up the dog nonstop. And, I mean, I just couldn't even, like, bend over to pick up the dog. But so that that's what I would say. Yes, you know, bring back volume in. I probably would have been better off doing um, a little bit more kind of ruck activity. You know, maybe a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think... You know, I didn't, I didn't mind, you know. See, that's the one thing that I think that I do and that I would encourage everybody else to do is, and you see this in the CrossFit community a little bit, where people don't listen to their body enough and work around their soreness or whatever, you know, and... I think that's a, that's a huge mistake. I mean, you can modify around, you know, your soreness, your, you know, I mean, you want to get moving, you want to, you want to stay active. And a lot of times that will allow you to, you know, to get through that, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness a little bit better. But at the same time, um, you know, if I'm struggling with squats, well, now I know, you know, it's bench press day, you know, and so if you don't have that kind of flexibility, you know, um, I would suggest to you that, you know, some level of that kind of work or modifying really does make a lot of sense. So Cassandra's saying, 
that's really interesting on keeping burns lower after PFL because I've really worked in PFL to get my lists up. Now it's a habit and Fitbit says I'm burning consistently higher than when I first started. Should I cut back lists on heavy workout days? Yes, that is an interesting point. Is when you're in a cut, right, you want to build these deficits. But when you're normalizing, you know, and once again, I mean, you're reversing, so your body is still kind of adjusting, so you're still going to want to have a little bit of a deficit in that process. That's totally fine. But you want to three, four, five weeks in, really be much closer to your burns, especially on workout days. And actually, you can be over, and not only can you be over, but sometimes your weight can be a little bit higher as a result. That's not a bad thing. That's part of you know, the thing that's going to help you adapt to getting better to that exercise. And so that is a, a really important thing because when I was, you know, um, doing my performance focused fat loss, I walked into it. My average Fitbit burn was something like 2,700 throughout my, um, throughout my time. Uh, you know, I tried to stay over 3,000. You are correct. I'm still over 3,000, but I'm over 3,000 differently. When I was over 3,000 before performance-focused fat loss, I was dragging my ass around the block, you know, to make sure that I got in my burn because I just wanted to, to, to guarantee myself success. Now, if you see me at 32, 3,300 and I didn't do a ruck, basically that was just me walking around the house. That was me do, walking the dog, you know. That was me you know, kind of in staff meetings with April where I've got my computer walking around. I've just, just got a lot of energy at that point, you know. And so so I would kind of keep that in mind. But, yeah, your burns, you don't want those burn. You don't want to build, like, these, these huge deficits. I mean, certainly you can have them, but you really want your rest days to start to get, you know, a little bit closer to your workout days and that's when you know you've you're kind of fully reversed out of things um, I do think that there is a case for um, you know getting your work capacity high enough to where you can actually go lower than where you were during performance focused fat loss but I don't think you should push that you know um, I think that you know, I know we all want to be at that number that we landed at. And I've been fairly close to it, you know, like two or three times since then. Um, and actually, um, the last two times I was close to it were kind of higher um, carbohydrate days and relatively low fat days. But my activity was fairly high. And so it wasn't like I did it from the standpoint of, you know, just going to 1800s and pulling all the the water out of my body right so so yeah but but the big takeaway that i wanted people to to hear as we were talking about this is that if you're doing something and that something is not working you have to try the opposite you have to look for trends of what you've been banging your head against the wall doing and then try and reverse it. And if you're an Eat to Perform member and you're sort of struggling through that piece of things, 
make a trend sheet for the last you know two weeks you know Anita was on here earlier and you know she made a trend sheet for for about 10 days and I, I thought I saw a, a trend um, so I asked her to go ahead and make another two um, two weeks just because sometimes you, you need longer history especially for women right because women are going to hold water differently than men will and so you know April and I have been involved in a discussion with Sherry and I think you know a little bit of what Sherry you know kind of the pluses and the minuses we're really starting to figure some things out for her but um, my guess is that for her it's a little frustrating for me it's exhilarating right because you know I love teaching someone how to use their body you know and I feel like Sherry's as close as she's ever been to be able to do that right um, and Sherry says hi to me um, all right guys well I think we can end there. I appreciate everybody being here. It ended up being a great discussion, I think. But just remember, you know, the opposite is often the answer. And if you're, you know, running 15 miles a day and you're eating 1,200 calories and you, you're getting nowhere, well, stop doing that. You know, give give rest a chance. <laughs> All I'm saying is give rest a chance. All right, you guys. Um, April, did you want to say goodbye to everyone? Good night, everyone. All right, guys. I appreciate everybody listening, and we'll talk to you later.